Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to part two of our chatting about PV systems. So we kind of did part one. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen. We kind of give you an overview. We just talked a little bit about the modules, the types, and things like that. And to be honest with you, I gave you a little, you know, probably a little more of a personal view of PV systems and different things. Again, I am not what we consider the industry expert on PV systems. I mean, that's Bill Brooks and folks like that, uh, John Wiles, and those are the experts in it. Um, you know, I have a healthy understanding and can interpret the code and, and apply it and things like that. But uh, and I've installed a few back early in my career. But you know, to be honest with you, uh, I'm more kind of a codesy guy. So we kind of talk codes, but I have a good understanding and I actually have taught courses on PV systems. Um, but there's a big difference between teaching about them and explaining the codes about them and it actually hands-on. So um, that gets us back to the thing where somebody says a qualified person. Uh, being that I'm a master electrician in, in multiple states and have installed them, I still wouldn't consider myself a qualified person dealing with a PV system. I'm a qualified in the sense that I can talk to you about the codes and how the codes apply and answer your questions and things like that. And I've, and I've done some of these things, uh, but I don't want to, you know, misconstrue there are experts out there that deal in this every day and they're the ones you also want to consult as well um so significant amount of changes that took place to the code and this is not a code change class or part two isn't uh we're going to talk about some general things but there's quite a few changes uh and i figured i'd just read you some changes uh, again this isn't in from me this is actually some changes that that have been published online uh, and I think, and I'm not 100% sure, I'm going to give credit to the credit where credit's due. I think this is um, uh, pulled together or compiled together from Bill Brooks, uh, which is just general open information uh, about the code changes, which are available to anybody if you want to go look it up. Um, so we had a change in uh, 690.1 which said it removed large-scale PVs from the scope of 690 because we have a 691, so we have now increased that. Uh, and it basically provided a clarity to when we're talking about normal PV and we're talking about something that would fall under the scope of 691, which is a large scale, and those are not less than 5,000 kilowatt. Okay? So it's a big difference between the standard system and those. So... Change to the scope to make it clear there's a stopping point that we're dealing with it. Uh, 690.2, uh, usually definitions, uh, clarified again, new and revised definitions for DC to DC circuits, uh, PV systems, uh, DC current, generating capacity, inverter input and output circuits, and functionally grounded PV systems. Uh, the explanation of what that means. For years we had PV systems, which we all associated with being grounded PV systems, which in reality, due to the DC systems and GFCIs, that they weren't really physically grounded, they were functionally grounded. Uh, but in order to, uh, to get rid of some confusion by inspectors, we just all kept them as being grounded systems and, and 
follow the same principles. Uh, but again, we have a definition now, what's called functionally grounded, and it's uh, really going to change the concept uh, of what it is to be a solidly grounded versus a functionally grounded system. Okay, a lot of the PV systems are, you know, on the DC side are functionally grounded, not necessarily solidly grounded. Okay, so definition changes there, so make sure you go read them. Uh, 690.4D clarified that multiple PV systems, not just multi-inverter, are allowed on a single building. Okay, so um, I can have multiple PV systems, and they didn't have to be just with uh, multiple inverters uh, in location, again, are allowed on a single building. Uh, And so 690.5 and 690.35C moved to 690.31B. Um, consolidates grounding and bonding ground fault protection issues. So, again, we're going to cover all of that in 690.41b. We'll probably cover that in here shortly. And, you know, there's a whole lot of changes here. There's a 690.7, reorganize and add voltage calculated methods for larger PV systems. So 690.7 is kind of reordering and reorganizing and giving you some calculation methods. We'll probably do that in a future video where I talk calculations for PV if you're encouraged for that. 690.8, revised to cover DC to DC converter circuits, allowing for additional calculation methods for PV circuit currents. Uh, So you get some more uh, methods for calculations in there. 690.9, 690.9, revised to cover all PV systems, including ungrounded systems, requiring only one overcurrent device per circuit. Okay, And I'm just kind of reading these here. 690.10, standalone systems, uh, has been moved. It's no longer 690.10. That actually is now Article 710, deals with those standalone type systems. 690.11, revised to exempt PV output circuits on ground-mounted systems from AC fault protection in some cases. So I need to read that. If you're doing a ground-mounted PV system, then there's some exceptions where arc fault protection is not going to be required. Need to read that. 690.12, dramatically increased details in 690.12. We kind of talked about that a little bit in a previous video or podcast, I should say, Uh, and it does increase or has the requirements for rapid shutdown, Uh, but again, we start also getting into some more of the definitions of what array boundaries are and all this kind of stuff, so all of that's kind of expanding um, that associated with the rapid shutdown within 30 seconds to 80 volts and things like that. Um, 690.13, clarifies that there are only two types of disconnects in PV systems. The PV system disconnection means, which is the 690.13, and two, the disconnects for equipment, which is 690.15. And so that meant that you had to have the the 690.15, which removes all of the 690.16.17.18 and places the necessary requirements in either 690.13 or 690.15. Okay, and we also introduce what's called isolating devices, uh, and it requires that disconnects open both positive and negative conductors on the DC side of the PV system. So, you DC guys, you, you're working with those PV systems, better pay really good attention to what's changed here in 690.15 uh, 
uh, when we're talking about disconnecting or isolating devices. Okay, you'll see it in the code book. It'll be all grayed out, so it ought to, be, it ought to draw your attention right to it. All right. Next change, 690.31, reorganized and revised the single set of requirements covering all wiring methods, including ungrounded systems. So 690.31 was reorganized and revised. Okay, so we have a set of requiring requirements that are very clear for the wiring methods to be used. Um, 690.31B1 disallows use of a white wire on the DC side of a PV system for anything except solidly grounded PV systems. And I'm going to tell you on the DC side, solidly grounded systems, even though that's what we called them for years, is now probably more accurately fundamentally grounded PV systems. It's not really a solidly grounded system. Okay, So it is very rare to see a solidly grounded PV system. Uh, so at the end of the day, though, just understand it that now says the white wire on the DC side of a PV system uh, for anything except solidly grounded. So if it's not a solidly grounded system, you're not going to use the white. Okay. All right. So kind of read that up. 690.31C1, the use of USE-2 and PV wire. And I kind of explained that a little bit in the, in the previous part one podcast, if you want to go back and listen to that, um, is, is are now permitted as single conductor cables for grounded and ungrounded PV systems. Okay, Kind of interesting because PV wire is referred to as a cable um, and a lot of times people refer to it as being a insulation and then a covering. Uh, reality is most of the PV wire that's listed for PV wire uh, is still just a cross-link polyethylene. It's all one extrusion so it's not really a covering and an insulation. It's all one. Uh, but, you know, it's all good. I usually attribute to that that there is other methods out there, uh, but that still gets evaluated as still PV wire, but it's all one single extrusion. Uh, it's all insulation. It's a thicker insulation, mind you, but it's still usually cross-link polyethylene for most cases. Uh, 690.31D requires that multi-conductor cables be listed for the application. Now, we're familiar with that because, you know, MC cables and all these others uh, have now required... a be listed. Um, we've always, as manufacturers, that had them listed because we have them evaluated. If it's MC 1569, for example, trade cable 1277, uh, and they were listed and evaluated. Uh, and so that changed and required all the different cables to be uh, listed. Uh, and so this just kind of harmonizes with that. If you're going to use a multiconductor cable, it has to be listed for the actual application. Uh, 690.31E permits flexible PV wire with trackers. Provided it has sufficient number of strands, adds a new wire strand table. Okay, so if you're going to use PV and you've got one of those trackers that moves, you need the flexibility, uh, then you will have be able to have what's called flexible PV wire. It just has an, a certain number of strands uh, that allows it to be more flexible to move with this tracker. Okay. 690.41 and 690.42 introduces concepts for, again, here we go, functionally grounded PV systems in, in uh, Article 690. It requires ground fault protection for all PV systems that are not solidly grounded, Okay, which means the, the majority of PV systems are not going to be solidly grounded. So you need to read that. 
most of the equipment you're probably going to work with today is going to have it incorporated anyway if this is what you're dealing with. Uh, but you just need to know, again, ground fault protection uh, requirement uh, when you're dealing with a functionally grounded system. 690.43 reorganizes for clarity, simplifies equipment grounding requirements. Thank goodness. Uh, there is always a lot of confusion when you're dealing with 690.43 and all that uh, when people didn't understand the requirements. Uh, just as much confusion that's in 690.47 uh, when it comes to the grounding electrode system for these PV systems. So um, take the time to read these two over. Write this down, 0 0.43, 0.47. Read it. It's reorganized uh, in... Uh, hopefully simplifies and brings clarity to it. We're going to cover this in other podcasts and videos as well. But just know that the work was done by the code panel, and I did a excellent job in doing that. So I thank all those individuals that, that got together and uh, really hashed all that, that out um, and uh, did a good job at, at doing all that. Okay, I kind of get off track here. Uh, the next one we're looking at is, again, 690.47 was a complete reorganization for all of you out there that said, wait a minute, do I ground the raid? Do I not ground the raid? You know, all these code changes from 2005 to 2008 to 2011 to 14 kind of jumped back and forth when we're dealing with the grounding electrode system for these PV systems. So, um, again, clarified and uh, reorganized, and I think the guys and gals, I should say, on this panel probably did a lot of good work here. Obviously, we can massage it, but you know, did a lot of work, and I assume that 2020 is going to be no different. But they completely reorganized and simplified, requires the support structures to have a grounding electrode system, uh, requires grounding, uh, grounding conductor to be connected to the local grounding electrode system, makes additional array electrodes, that's for the arrays now on the roof, optional. Okay, there was a time when it wasn't optional. Then there was a time when it was optional. So now it kind of clarifies that that additional requirement is optional. But if you install it on a building, uh, then you're going to have to connect it to the local grounding electrode system. Okay, that's on that building. Keep it all as one, tied together. Okay, um, 690.53, and we'll finish these up here in a minute. Simplifies DC PV source markings by removing the rated maximum power point that is the RMPPV voltage and current from signage, okay? So uh, trying to attempt to simplify how the markings go uh, in dealing with this. So that was 690.53. Uh, and I'm not 100% overly, I didn't read a lot into that. So when we get there, we'll probably all learn a little bit something together at some point. Uh, 690.56C details marking requirements for systems equipped with rapid shutdown. So again, marking, what's required to mark, obviously the marking has got to be designed to uh, withstand the environment that they're used in and all this kind of stuff that makes it clear that there is rapid shutdown so that the first responders can shut it down and reduce the hazard while they're on the roof. Um, and again, we also saw in a previous podcast, part one to this series, where we talked about the area boundaries uh, within the boundary and then what's considered outside the boundary in the different wiring methods that are used outside the boundary versus what's inside the boundary and all these kind of things, okay? Um, and in the proximities of that. Um, then we have part seven, I believe. Uh, so yeah, part seven, it's kind of hard to see it. It simply references 
Article 705 and replaces where it used to say connection to other sources because, you know, 705 had some changes as well. Um, and it adds definitions like the microgrid definition. Um, it simplified the whole section to cover supply side and load size interconnections. So you have all of these other systems that can interconnect, not just PV, but it gives guidance in 705 for the interconnection of these other systems. Um, 705.12b allows for the load size and connection of other equipment besides inverters. So again, it's not, you know, there are other equipment that could be on the load side of the interconnection. Uh, and so it gives clarity to that. So again, uh, 705.12d6, for example, removes arc fault detection requirements for small AC circuits. Uh, so again, you're, you're not totally uh, understanding that when you're in 690 that it's an all-inclusive it's going to interact with other areas of the code for example uh, you're also going to have the application in part 8 which is going to reference a new article which is 706 and that's talking about the the storage component okay replaces this content it used to say other than required for self-regulating PV charge controllers okay but when we're thinking of 706 we're thinking energy storage systems. And these energy storage systems are basically uh, applies to permanently installed energy storage systems operating at over 50 volts AC or 60 volts DC that may be standalone or interactive with other electric power production sources, which is what's going to put us back into 705. Okay, uh, And that's really important to remember. Because usually these systems all interact together, and so you're not just in one area and you think you're done. So that's the important thing about understanding the NEC, is that they all interact and intertwine with other articles. And you need to know that you're in one article, you're not just locked into that article. You might need to be in something else. That's why it's so important to understand the structure. Chapters 1 through 4 of the NEC apply generally and broadly throughout the entire NEC. And then you have... Uh, well, except for chapter 8, and we'll talk about that in a second. And then you have 5, 6, and 7 chapters, which can actually modify and supplement chapters 1 through 7. And, of course, you have chapter 8, which is standalone for communication. Very important. Still must be enforced. But it's going to make reference to other sections or other articles within the National Electrical Code. And that when it does that, it is very much applicable to whatever's in chapter 8. And, of course, you have Chapter 9, and that's tables and whatnot that are referenced, where applicable, where referenced, and all that kind of stuff. So understanding the fundamental scope of how the code works or how it's, it's laid out is really important because we do a lot of things, for example, in 690 that might seem contrary to what we might do back in uh, Article 250. Uh, but the general rules in 250 applies unless it's supplemented or modified some way in uh, Article 690. So it's really important that we understand that structure. And the same thing here. Something in 705, which is chapter 7, can supplement or modify something that's in chapter 6. And that's really important because that is also a change that took place for clarity in the 2017 code, making it really clear that chapters 1 through 7 can modify or supplement chapters 1 through 7 and not just chapters 1 through 4. Okay, so that's the way it was prior, and I think it was an oversight, but it's all cleared up now. And we also know that something in, 2000, in the um, Article 705 can change or modify something that might be in Chapter 6. Okay, that's how it works. All right, enough of that, right? 
So let's kind of get back to where we were at talking a little bit of code. So when we're doing an installation under the 2017 code, and again, if you're not on the 2017 code, I apologize. Things change, but I try to stay with the most currently adopted uh, code uh, when I do my presentations, okay? So let's kind of talk about a few things. If you watched the, uh, or listened, I should say listened, to the first podcast, we talked about there's different types of systems. There's grid tied, there's standalone, uh, and there's hybrid type systems. Now, in a grid type system, it's interactive with the utility. So when the utility cuts off, if the inverter is listed properly, it should shut down so that we don't feed power back onto the grid that can cause harm to somebody. Okay, But in a grid tied system, which is an interactive system with the utility, you got to worry about the PV modules. We have to worry about the racking system. We kind of talked about that a little bit uh, in the first part one, if you haven't if you're not familiar with that, we have to kind of think about what conductors are we going to use? Um, how do we size them? What are our grounding components that we have to worry about? Tying all these modules together. Uh, you have these multiple string circuits and we have to come back to combiner box because we have to bring all these paralleled strings together. Uh, and, and then you've got to get to the inverter. And so we have to bring all those things together and understand what the code's doing for us. Okay? So... When we're dealing with this, we have to think, what all do we need when we're designing this system? So if you're designing this system out there, you have to understand, okay, I'm going to have to understand AC and the DC components, whether or not I'm dealing with isolation uh, devices to do this, um, whether or not I'm dealing with disconnection means on the AC side and the DC side. Um, I have to understand, you know, the code, man, it's a, it's a tough gig for people because you have to, you know, they have made it much easier, I will say, in the 2017 by the different parts. Uh, understand, well, what components do I have to disconnect, okay, and what is required by the NEC? Do I need overcurrent protection, and where do I apply it? Uh, do I need ground fault protection, and when am I exempt from that? Like I said, if it's something to do with the ground-mounted uh, PV system, uh, I have to understand all of that. What about arc fault protection? Is it required in my system or not? So let me tell you what. If you're in the PV world and you're an electrician and you want to joke to people and say, oh, God, he's not a real electrician. He just works on that PV. You are sadly mistaken because the PV guys have to learn not only the general applications of running AC circuits, but now they have to understand all these intricate components. Now, I tell people all the time in classes, if you keep it simple, stupid, you've got a PV that's generating power, you know you're going to have a certain number of disconnects in order to be able to isolate and work on each independent component. So you just got to understand the rules, and you know that you got to protect the conductors, so you know you're going to have overcurrent protection. You know that if GFCI protection, or GFP, I should say, not necessarily GFCI, my slip of the tongue, folks. If it's GFP protection, I have to understand where that has to be applied, uh, and then arc fault protection, uh, I have to understand where that's to be applied. So there's a lot of things that a PV guy has to worry about. It's not just the AC. So you know what? It's, it's, it can be a complicated thing. The next thing they got to worry about is they got to do stuff that's outside the NEC scope uh, that get into building like the roof supporting structure and, and how much weight can it support in, in designing the actual load, bearing load or live loads. And they got to put these supporting systems in. Then they got to penetrate the roof. And you know what? The last thing I want is somebody to penetrate my roof and all of a sudden I get leaks in my roof. You know, no PV guy wants to deal with that because that's something that they're like, look, I just deal with the PV part. 
But you are penetrating my roof. So you got to be aware of that. Okay. So proper flashing, you know, they have different things like L foots uh, requires a roof penetration for its attachment. Yeah, flashing of these penetrations in order to keep moisture out. So are they actually installing proper flashings? Um, now, here's the other thing. If that support flashing is aluminum and it's part of the PV system, is it grounded in accordance with 690.43? Are you doing it? How is it being grounded? Is it connected to properly to the actual clamp that connects to the rail that actually connects to the actual bonding that we're doing around this PV system? So many things that they have to think about. And so you got your code books. Most, most of my students do grab their code book. If you look at 69.43, it says, and again, it's all grayed out, okay? It's, it's, there's been changes. It says, expose non-current carrying metal parts of a PV module frame, electrical equipment, or conductor, ex- or conductor exposures of PV systems shall be grounded in accordance with 250.134 or 250.136a. It goes on to say, regardless of the voltage, equipment grounding conductors and devices shall comply with 690.43A through C. And it talks about in A, it says the photovoltaic module mounting systems and devices. It says devices and systems used for mounting PV modules that are also used for bonding modules frames shall be listed, labeled, and identified for bonding PV modules. Devices that mount adjacent to PV modules shall be permitted to bond adjacent PV modules. So the moral of that story is, is that if this flashing and this panel, it's all designed as a system, then it all has to be connected together, evaluated together, and that is something the inspector is going to look at. Okay? Now, what about the rail sections? Now, the rail sections itself that are actually going to attach to these supports they're typically manufactured and they have a location on there with the little universal ground symbol. And that is the location where an equipment grounding conductor for this circuit uh, would connect. Now, difference, don't get it confused with the grounding electroconductor that's going down to an electrode. This is an equipment grounding conductor that's running around and connecting all of these modules together onto the frame. Okay, so these rails will be identified typically with a common location that you're going to make that connection. And it's going to be identified on there, and it's going to be lugs that are supplied. Now you can, don't want to. You want to make sure that you're you're using a properly listed connection for this application. Okay. Now in these unique L foot or L bracket systems that actually connect to a flashing system that mounts to the roof, uh, all integrated. It's designed a certain way. Um, it's going to be all evaluated. It's going to have the manufacturer specifications on it. It's going to have torquing requirements, uh, 110.14D. Uh, it's also going to, to, in order to be totally a system, it has to be installed in accordance with the manufacturer's instructions. And that's what 690.43 is kind of telling you, is that you need to torque it all down properly. This flashing keeps you from getting water in, but it's all intricate part of the supporting system. It came with the system. Um, then, you know, all of those things have to be met. Okay. Now let's talk about other types of things. Cause you know what? Grounding and bonding of these systems are extremely important. So we want to make sure we also talk about other clamping. Now, if I see a, uh, an array or a module, for example, and the module is being held to the actual railing system, uh, most of these manufacturers that make these will make their attachments 
uh, and all their railings and you used it properly. And, and I, as an inspector, uh, would make sure that they're using all these products that are designed to be used with this uh, module that goes with the rack and the connecting system uh, is associated. In other words, if I had the metal uh, PV modules, uh, whether it's, just, say, monocrystalline, uh, and usually you can tell by the round PV cells that are on there, um, and they're usually a dark color, like a black or darker, whereas the polycrystalline are usually blue. Uh, so the monocrystalline, let's say I'm doing this, and I have a metal rack, aluminum rack, I want to make sure that I use a fitting or connector or clamp that connects that module to the actual rail system. And of course, that rail system is bonded at those locations to the equipment grounding conductor. So what about this clamp? Well, there are approved clamps that do bonding, and you'll see that because it'll be listed that way, and it connects the actual module to the grounded rack system. So what this means is I'm not connecting anything, drilling anything into the actual PV modules. They're utilizing the clamp to make that intimate connection, and usually they're going to have teeth on it or something that when you torque it down properly... Uh, and you have a locking washer on there that's kind of offset so that it kind of puts tension on it, that that actually binds down into the aluminum and makes that connection. Okay, and so that connects the aluminum frame of the PV module to the grounded rack. And of course, the grounded rack's gonna have those locations where you make this connection to the EGC that's run with the PV circuit. And it actually will connect all around all of these racks together. And thus, because of this clamp, which is approved for bonding, you gotta make sure that it is, uh, then in that case, and I would make them show me if I was an inspector, I'd say show me where these clamps are identified, approved, whatever for this bonding of this system. Uh, and then that's okay. It wouldn't be a problem. Okay? Uh, so kind of some of those things to, to keep in mind. Now some of these rail systems have a long track system that actually mounts and you put it in and the modules sit on the supporting system of the racks and you have these uh, rails that come up and they come up and they have little lips on them and they kind of go between each of the PV panels and you torque them down, you lock them in place. Well, underneath it, you have what's called a piercing uh, point. And that piercing spike or whatever it is will actually dig into the aluminum as it tightens down, that, that clamp tightens down onto the actual rack system. But again, that's that's designed for the system. And that is compliant with 690.43. That is all a part of the system. Uh, but you want to make sure they're doing that. You want to make sure that the installer is actually using a system that is the clamps. If you don't see them actually taking the EGC to the actual arrays or to the modules itself, then you better look at the clamps because the aluminum clamp is going to hold on the actual PV module. The clamp connects to the actual rail system and all of that gets tied together and usually there's some kind of spike or something that's going to make these intimate contact uh, and a physical contact between them all. Okay, uh, And they're usually going to be listed uh, and they're going to have some kind of listing, labeling, and identified for bonding. Uh, and uh, there's certainly going to be different UL components that, uh, that say that it meets that compliance. Now, when equipment such as these clamps or even a racking system is used to bond these modules, um, they all have to be listed, labeled, and identified as bonding of PV modules, usually under like UL 467 or something like that. They'll have some marking. So look at these clamps and look and see that this is what takes place. Okay? All right. Now, that is not to say that we have other racking systems that are not listed for bonding. And so what you end up having to do is 
if you have the different rail systems or whatnot and you've got pieces that aren't listed for the application, uh, then you have to have what's called bonding jumpers uh, at where the racks come together so that you can actually bond rack systems together. So sometimes what we have is you will have the individual uh, components that hold the modules and they are listed for that. But then you have a rack system that is disjointed. And when you have the different system and they go together and you might have a clamp that holds one rail to another rail. And of course that clamp is not necessarily identified for grounding and bonding. But yeah, I have two separate rail systems. So what does the guy have to do the guy or the installer has to come and put a bonding jumper to connect these two disjointed rail systems together to make them act like one okay so that's when you would need a bonding jumper and you go of course you got to make the terminations uh, according to 50.8 those type of terminations uh, and uh, follow all the rules in order to make these two separate rail systems come together as one. Now, most of the manufacturers that sell these systems know this consequence, and so they will sell systems that allow you to do the bonding jumper uh, between two parts to make them one, if you will. Uh, but that's just remember that 690.43B is talking about the metal support structures or the racking system. If they're not listed for bonding, then they're going to have to have identified bonding jumpers installed between these racking systems. Again, 690.43B is going to give us all those guidelines for that. Okay? All right, so let's move on with the system. So over the years, I get an awful lot of questions from people uh, when it comes to, for example, the grounding electroconductor. Okay, so let's steer um, the grounding electroconductor versus the equipment grounding conductor. Now, the what we're running out and around these arrays or these modules uh, and these rails, all of that is called the equipment grounding conductor, okay? It is basically coming with the EGCs are coming with the PV source and all these type of, of circuit conductors and everything that's running around it. So first things first, we want to look at 690.45, and that's the EGC are required to be 14 AWG or larger. So when we look at 690.45, here's what it says. This is the size of the equipment grounding conductor, keeping it simple. It's the equipment grounding conductors for the PV source and PV output circuits shall be sized in accordance with 250.122. Okay, so that's the general rule. Now, it goes on to say, well, where no overcurrent protected device is used, because that's usually the next question I get, Paul, that's fine, but what if there's no uh, overcurrent protected device used in the circuit? An assumed overcurrent device rated in accordance with 690.9b, so you got to do your calculation and choose the overcurrent that would be accordingly, shall be used when applying 250.122. Now, it says increase the equipment grounding conductor size to address voltage drop considerations shall not be required. Okay, again, we're not worried about the voltage drop in this PV system if we have to increase it. Uh, that, it says, you know what, increasing the equipment grounding conductor size to address voltage drop not required here, okay? So leave that on the AC side, okay? Don't worry about it over here. Now it says, an equipment grounding conductor shall not be smaller than 14 gauge. So whatever our calculation does, or whatever the calculation that assumes us, it doesn't matter. It still can't be smaller than a 14. However, it could be larger. Always keeping that in mind, okay? Now, just can't be smaller than 14, okay? So it's got to be at least 14. Now, again, it's all going to be based on what? the size of the overcurrent device that is ahead of the PV source and PV output circuits, if there is one. If not, it's the assumed size based on a calculation that you're going to do uh, in accordance with 690.9b. Okay. 
And now we'll, we'll do calculations in another episode. Just kind of the general rule. Now, the EGC for the bonding of the PV modules, if smaller than six, is required to be in a protective raceway. Okay, so that is 690.46. Okay, so it says it right up there in that. It says, hey guys, you know what? If it says it right in the beginning, it says, hey, the array equipment grounded conductor, that's the one you're going to be jumping around from different array to array. Uh, it says, for PV modules, equipment grounded conductors smaller than six shall comply with 250.120C. Now, if you're not familiar with 250.120C, this is really important because this is kind of reiterating the fact that you, if you're going to run smaller than six, then you have to protect it from physical damage. Now, we're familiar with that, with the, uh, the grounding electroconductors, you know, ground rods. If we run something where the code says, for example, it's a 100-amp service and it ends up being an 8-gauge, um, then if that was the case, then we'd have to protect it with some type of protection, usually Schedule 80, because you don't want to get into bonding each end of that, uh, that protective uh, enclosure. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's saying, look, we have to protect it if it's smaller than a 6 but then it goes on to say, well, you know what? If you're running it in a hollow space of the framing members or building or the structure, we're not subject to physical damage, uh, then you know what? You don't have to put it in a raceway. So depending on how you might route this in your application, it might be protected by the module and you don't need to protect it. Again, that's going to be a jurisdictional call in how you do that and how it's exposed. Uh, maybe you expose, you protect it until it gets underneath the modules and then at that point it's literally protected by the framing uh, of it. Again, we're going to leave that up to the HJ, authority having jurisdiction. We just kind of wanted to throw that out there. All right. Now, the next question I get, because I am in the wire and cable industry, um, and people want to know when I'm using PV wire or USE-2, and it talks about PV source and output, they really want to know, okay, the code tells me the different wiring methods I can use. I mean, I get that. But at the end of the day, or the types of wire I can use, but what is the difference in a PV source, in a, PV, a source circuit or PV output circuit? Well, it's pretty simple. So... Let's say I have all these strings of these PVs, and they're wired in series, okay? Um, and I've got three different strings. I've got four different strings. It doesn't really matter. But when I have four different strings or three different strings, then typically they're going to come back and combine in one common location. So all of the, one, all of the wire that's looping all the modules that is connecting all these strings together that come back to the combiner box, if you will, all of those from the actual modules that are come back are called PV source, okay? They're coming from the source. What's the source? The modules. That's source. Uh, so when people say, okay, I get that. So it comes back to a combiner. Now it's got to go from the combiner, and it kind of comes down and unifies into one conductor, uh, one set of conductors, and now it goes to the inverter, or it might go to a disconnect or whatever. What are those called from the combiner to the inverter? And we keep it simple. Uh, those are called the PV output circuits. Okay? Again, nothing has changed in the combiner. We're bringing them all together. We're still dealing with the DC component. Okay? So it's still DC current. It's just combining them in one location. So the PV source is all of the stuff from the combiner towards the PV modules. Uh, all of that wiring. And everything from the combiner down to the inverter, even if a disconnect's associated, it still runs through the disconnect. Everything to the inverter 
is going to be what's called PV output circuits, okay? All right, so we kind of know now when we're talking about the wire types, whether it's PV uh, or we're talking about USD-2, which the code says can be used for PV source or PV output, uh, uh, can be used for the PV output or PV source, we kind of know now which is which, okay? There's still a DC component. Why is that important? Because if it's an AC module, for example, they're not DC. They come out of that and it's just purely AC, so you're going to follow all the general rules like you would for an AC branch circuit. Okay, so uh, all those type of things, and again, for a different topic. Okay, now again, what is a PV module array? Okay, so the arrays are the different strings of PV modules tied together. The string is one string. So let's say I have uh, seven PV modules, and all of those are intimately connected together in series. That becomes an array. Uh, excuse me, that becomes a string. I'm getting really confused myself. That becomes a string of different PV modules. And when you have multiple strings, they come together as an array. So when I look at a roof, I see multiple modules that are done in multiple strings. Together becomes a multiple arrays. Okay, so that's a, a module, a PV module array. Okay. Now, if we're doing these PV modules and we're installing them in series then what we're doing is we're creating what's called a string. So I'm looping them, going into one, coming out of the other. So I might have a black coming into one, coming out of the other with a red, going to a black one, coming out of the other one with a red. So they're, they're kind of daisy chaining, if you will. That's called a string, okay? So we have three strings of modules if we have three sets, okay? And then you'll have what's called the PV source circuit, which they come out of those, and then they kind of come out, and you have what's called, basically you have home runs, and they come out of the strings, and then they come down to what's called a combiner box, and we kind of bring all those together, all right? And so in the combiner box, you literally, that's what you get. They all come in into one central box, uh, and they're connect together, uh, and they could have a uh, two strings, or then let's say we're only dealing with two strings, they'll come in and they'll combine together, uh, and then you'll have one coming out, and that'll go into, you could have fuses there, depending on the number of strings, and we'll do that in a calculation to show you the difference. Uh, and then, of course, you have fuses there or disconnects there, and it changes over, and then when it comes out, that is the PV output, okay? All right. Uh, another thing about the source is connector sizing. Now, a lot of times when you're dealing with these modules now, let's say microinverters or whatnot, and you're dealing with these, they come with the clamps already on them. Uh, so they already will simply connect, and you can make these connections, uh, and it all just make or breaks and connects together. And there's certain types of fitting uh, connectors, I should say, that are actually evaluated for make or break and those type of things. And those are typically in the PV source circuits is where you're gonna see those. They connect the modules itself uh, through maybe power optimizers, uh, microinverters, or whatever it is, and they actually connect together and they are uh, evaluated uh, to make or break type of scenarios. All right? Well, let's talk a little bit about sizing for PV source circuit sizing since we're talking the, the part that goes from the combiner out to the actual uh, module. Let's talk a little bit about that. All right, so if we look in the code book in 69.8a, it says calculate of maximum circuit current. It says the maximum circuit for the specified circuit shall be calculated in accordance with 690.8a1 through a6. 
Okay. All right. So you then you begin to look down and you see A1 and it says photovoltaic source circuit currents. And that's what we're talking about. Okay. From the combiner to the actual modules. It says the maximum current shall be calculated by one of the following methods. Okay. First method, it says the sum of parallel connected PV modules rated short circuit currents multiplied by 125%. Okay. So let's do this first. Now let's not take into account right now anything that has to do with uh, anything that would deal in uh, 31015B3A or B2A. Uh, let's not deal with ambient temperatures or com conductor bundling at this time because we do have air movement and a lot of times these might not come into play. Uh, but let's kind of, let's go with the basics first. And so 690.8A told us what? We're basically going to take the sum of the PV modules, short circuit current, or referred to as ISC, that is actually on each PV module, and we're going to multiply that by 125%. I mean, that's kind of, kind of what it said do. All right? So we add up the sum of the PV modules, short circuit current ratings of each PV module. All right? So that's one way we can size these conductors. So I'm putting it in perspective 690.8a tells us to take the sum. Now, if you look at the ISC on any module when in the string, then it's not going to change. So um, if the ISC is 8.75 on a module, if we're talking string and series, that the voltage adds up, but the, the, but the actual current uh, actually remains the same. So if it's 8.75, you take that for that string and you multiply it by 125%. Now, if there's multiple strings, then they're in parallel. And then you're gonna take that, so you might have 8.75 ISC uh, on the module, uh, on the panel PV module, which is gonna account for that string. Uh, if you have three of them like that, then it might be 8.75 times 125% times three, okay? So just keeping that in mind, that's what it talks about when we say sum of the PV. I mean, the current of the ISC uh, does not change in the series, but it does change in the parallel. But we have to take into account the 125% application. So that's where we get that into there. So that's, we're doing that first. That's so that I've got multiple choices here. So option one. The next option says, after applying any necessary adjustment for ambient temperatures or conductor bundling, which we haven't done, but if we did, after applying the necessary adjustment and corrections uh, necessary to take place, you'll multiply by 125% uh, and order increase the value found in 690.8a of the of your NEC, and that is your conductor size. Okay. So summary of the of the option two is okay. So a one is dealing with we're trying to determine the photovoltaic source circuit currents. Okay. And but we ought to remember that the 690.8b it says conductor ampacity. And we've got to look at each one of these because ultimately, whichever one yields the bigger conductor between the 690.8A, uh, right, and 690.8B, I've got to go with the larger conductor, okay? So that's what we have to take into consideration. Now, under the B, let's look at that for a second because I kind of paraphrased it, but let's look at it. So, Look at the B1. Here's the interesting one. People want to know where this version, where this term 156% comes from, which is actually, if you go up and look at the note 
under 699.8a, there's an informational note that says where requirements of both 699.8a1 and b1 are both applied, the resulting multiplication factor is 156%. Uh, th- that's kind of a shortcut way of doing 125% that's found in a1 and the use of b1. Uh, if you have adjustment and corrections that take place. So let's kind of look when we're talking. So we know how to define the circuit currents. We just did that. Okay. We took the sum uh, of the parallel connected PV modules, short circuit current, whichever's printed on the module. And we determined the string. If there's only one string, it's 878.75. That's what the ISC was times 125%. That gives us the circuit currents. Now we want to go down and look and see, well, we also have the conductor ampacity requirement, and that's where B comes into play. And it says PV cir- uh, system cir- currents shall be considered to be continuous. Okay. It says circuit conductors shall be sized to carry not less than the larger of 690.8B1 or B2. Now, remember, the first thing we did in A was we had to come up with what we thought the current was. Now we're going to have some values that we can now apply, okay? And so we look at that. So let's look at B1 now. So now we're going to talk about conductor. Now, first thing we did, again, in A1 is find what the current was. And now we're looking at B and look at number one. Now, one says, okay, first thing I can do is before the application of any adjustment or correction factors, uh, and again, that would be ambient temperatures or number of bundling of current current conductors or whatever it would be, it says that I do 125% of the maximum currents calculated in 690.8A. Well, we just did that. That was the ISC times 125% if we're using uh, 690.8A11. Right? Uh, so we're just talking that one for simplicity. We're not talking about, we're going to keep it simple. So I already did that to come up with the value. So now I take that value and I do it again. 125% of that current before the application of any adjustment corrections. Okay, so I've got that. That results in the conductor size of what we need. Okay, and that's one way to do it. That's uh, B1. But it says up there the larger of B1 or B2. So that's the first one. So what it's saying is that I could take the values of the ISC from the PV module and I could do that at 156% and basically combine both A one and B1 together, and that's one value. But I need to take the larger, so we're looking at B2. Now, B2 says, okay, that's before the application of adjustment of corrections. Now, what about after the application of adjustment of corrections? So the maximum currents calculated in 690.8A, and again, that's how we did the currents, after the application of adjustment of correction factors Okay, so whichever one results in a larger conductor, that's the one we're going to have to use. Okay, and that's really not much different than what we do in 215 for feeders or 210 for branch circuits, kind of the concept. Not much different in sizing. So you've got the two methods here, really. Um, you, you've, got, you've got B1 option, uh, and then you've got the B2 option, whichever results in a larger conductor. So again, I can take the ISC, right, that I did, and I took that value at 125%, and if I'm using B1, I do that at another 125% or 156 to shortcut it, and size a conductor that way before any adjustment corrections, or after I take a conductor's ampacity, and I, after an adjustment or correction, 
Then I take that value and multiply it by 125%, that already increased value that we did in 690.8a, and that is your conductor size, okay? And you choose whichever results in the larger of option one or B1 versus B2. That is the required conductor, okay? Uh, another thing to remember is I used to have what's called uh, rooftop ambient temperature uh, adders still in play if you have the raceways on the roof. Uh, the change in the 2017 code now was if they're above 7 eighths of an inch, uh, then you don't have to worry about the adder. Uh, one way to get around this is you could use uh, in some of these applications. Um, you can't even get away with using XHHW-2 because that's not listed for use in the PV source or output. Uh, so um, one of those things is to keep it at least 7 eighths of an inch above. And usually the straps or the the blocks that keep those those raceways up will keep it higher than seven eighths of an inch. Uh, but just keep that in mind. Now, from the combiner box to the inverter, those are PV output circuits. We, we've talked about that many times. So when we're looking at the overall scheme, and again, that was kind of showing you how to size those circuits accordingly. And I will tell you also that once they come down into the combiner and now you're having a combiner and you're going out, uh, you're having to take into account now each one of those strings, okay? So each one of them, the, the current is additive, okay? Whereas in the series and the modules, the, the current didn't change. But now that you have different strings, then it is additive, okay? So the 8.75, whatever, at, at 125% on the one string is the same on the second string, is the same on the third string, and they add together. So now from that combiner, that output circuit has to take all of that into consideration, Okay, and I just kind of assumed that we would all know that. Now, the PV output circuit between the combiner box and the, and the inverter, that is still DC. Um, uh, it is often used with THWN-2. Uh, a condo system is required for THWN-2 uh, because typically it, it will, or THHN, if you will, because it's dual rated, but... THWN-2 is really uh, in a raceway in a wet location. Uh, you would you would generally have to put it in a raceway. Okay, anyway, so that could be in there from the combiner. Okay, not a problem with that application. Uh, but from that combiner box down, we're talking about PV output circuits conductor sizing now. So we've done the modules. We've come into now. Let's kind of talk about how we do that circuit for the PV output. And I kind of touched on a little bit. But we're looking at 690.8B again. And it says, for PV output circuits, conductors between the combiner box and inverter are also sized in accordance with 690.8B. So um, I, I kind of told you how to do that a minute ago. So we really don't have to rehash that again. Just have to remember that those output circuits, if you got three strings, that they do account for each string is going to have a current value that you have to take into consideration. Okay? Well, that kind of... Okay, sorry I hit the wrong button. Okay, so now let's kind of move on to part four of the wiring methods. And let's talk a few things real quick in general um, that we're talking about and some kind of some basic things. We're still going to talk about PV source and PV output. Okay, uh, but we're talk some, some some basics. Now, if you look at the National Electrical Code, uh, part four starts at 690.31a, and it says all raceway and cable wiring methods included in this code, being the NEC, 
Uh, other wiring methods and fittings specifically listed for use on PV arrays, the wiring as part of the listed system shall be permitted. Where wiring devices with integral enclosures are used, sufficient length of cable shall be provided to facilitate replacement. Now, where here's the important part. Where PV source and output circuits operating at a voltage greater than 30 volts are installed in readily accessible locations, circuit conductors shall be guarded or installed in type MC cable or in a raceway. Now, of course, if it's MC cable, uh, it's going to have to be the PVC jacketed type if it's out on a roof or something like that, that it's open in a wet location. Obviously, it goes without saying. Um, or in a raceway. Uh, and it says, for ambient temperature exceeding 30 degrees C or 86 degrees Fahrenheit, conductor ampacities shall be corrected in accordance with table 690.31A. Okay? So you have this ampacity table, or this, I guess you'd say, adjustment table, that is really not much different than 31015B2A, I guess, uh, depending on what your uh, ambient temperature is. So I think a lot of people also forget that, that when you're dealing with a PV system, this is an example where you have some type of ambient temperature that, that's going to be uh, corrected in some way uh, based on the, the ambient temperature uh, if it's other than 30 degrees C, 86 degrees Fahrenheit. And I think that is grayed out in here. Um, prior to that, I think many people just realized that chapters 1 through 4 were general requirements and you would have to go to 31015B2A to see all this. Uh, but now it does have its own table here. It's new for the 2017 code for correction factors uh, that you have to take into account. It doesn't change really how you do it. Hopefully you know how to do adjustment and corrections. If not, go watch my rating on derating demystified, a video on that on our YouTube channel and explains all of that. So it's really not much different here. Uh, and I really haven't looked at it to see whether or not these values are that much different. Uh, but it's a simple process of how to use it. But just remember guarded or installed in. So guarded could mean something that's designed with the system that's actually guarding those uh, those uh, PV source or P output circuits based on the equipment or whatever. Uh, we'll let the HJ uh, determine that again. But just wanted to let you know. Uh, again, you could use PVC jacketed MC as well or other raceways. Just remember that's a cable, not a raceway, but it does give you both allowances here. Um, typically, the PV source and output conductors are run underneath an array uh, or underneath you know, different modules and run around. Uh, but just keep in mind that depending on how it's installed, where they're operating in excess of uh, 30 volts and are readily accessible, means anybody can just go right up to and get to them, then they must be guarded in some way. Now, some people will put a backing on the bottom of the array so that these wires are all kind of in between the framework, and then you could argue that they're guarded. Uh, but if they're exposed uh, and they are readily accessible, uh, then somebody could get to them, and the code of the conductors have to be protected. So kind of keeping that, that in mind, okay? All right, one of the other issues that I get asked a lot is intermingling of different uh, circuits. Um, a couple things to remember, and it should be you know a no-brainer, but 690.31b tells us that PV source circuits and PV output circuits uh, shall not be contained in the same raceway, cable tray, cable, that could be an MC cable as well, Output uh, outlet box, junction box, or similar fitting as conductors, feeders, or branch circuits of other non-PV systems or inverter output circuits, okay? 
So you remember, these are DC, and a lot of the inverter output is going to be AC, so they cannot intermingle unless the conductors of the different systems are separated by some type of partition or some type of barrier, okay? And that is required and as well, and they have to be identified and grouped as required by uh, 690.31b1 through 2, okay? Now, how do you identify these? Uh, circuits to make it really clear what we're dealing with, marking tape, tagging, color coding, other approved means, whatever the HJ is okay with, uh, then you, you go for it, okay? All right, so that kind of covers that. Uh, again, we don't want non-PV source or output circuits to be intermingled with uh, the PV source or PV output conductors, okay? Unless there's a barrier or separator in the two, okay? Now, you could have a common box where you'll have AC and uh, PV together, as long as it's marked and identified, as long as there's a partition between the two and you had a single enclosure, then that would be adequate. But it has to be one that's designed with a partition to separate the two. Okay. Uh, now, PV circuit conductors, uh, 690.31b1, all PV uh, system circuit conductors shall be identified at every point where accessible in the system. Okay, so we're looking at, at B1 there. So identify it. Uh, so any point of termination, connection, or splices have to be identified. Tagging, marking tape, other approved means, maybe a label, whatever they accept, uh, it's going to be fine. Okay. Now, it also goes on to, to make sure that, that all the PV systems at every point, okay, that's where most people get lost. It doesn't matter if it's a common box and you have AC coming in one side and DC coming in the other side and there's a, there's a partition. Uh, it's still one of those applications where you're going to have to label and group the PV circuits in order to be able to identify them. And you're going to have to do that. Okay. All right. Now let's talk about some of the more rules that you all have to be aware of when it comes to a power source for PV systems. And you're probably all very familiar with this, the marking requirements. So I guess the, the low-hanging fruit that we should probably talk about first is uh, is G. And so 69.31G talks about photovoltaic system direct current circuits on or in a building. Okay, so we get it. They're coming out, whether they're, whether they're source or outputs, um, they're coming out and maybe they go from the combiner and now you want to turn into the building, so it would be the, the DC output or PV output. Um, the code says... Where PV systems DC circuits run inside of the building, they shall be contained in metal raceways. Type MC metal clad cable that complies with 250.11.10 or metal enclosures from the point of penetration of the surface of the building to the first readily accessible disconnection means. Okay, So as you penetrate the building, it's going to have to be in an MC cable. Uh, the MC cable has to comply with 250.11.10. Uh, I would hope everybody's familiar with that because, you know, basically that's your, your typical MC cable with an equipment grounding conductor. could be bare, could be insulated, not required to be insulated uh, in this case. Um, but uh, that's your general, that's going to be your effective ground fault current path. You're only bonding the armor uh, again. So, and there's other products out there where the armor is used in the effective ground fault current path. That's like a smart ground product, uh, but not what we're really talking about here. Uh, so at any rate, uh, 
If you're using an MC, and again, most of the time outside, it's going to be PVC jacketed MC. The moment it penetrates, you don't really need the PVC jacketing anymore. It could be stripped off if you want. That way you can use a standard connector inside. Um, but just keeping those, those things in mind, uh, we're talking about typical MC cable, whether it's PVC jacketed or not. Okay, Where it's outside, it's going to obviously have to have the PVC jacket. And then it goes on to remind us that, okay, now we're taking this DC system which again could be the PV source or output. Generally, this is, this point is probably going to be the generally probably going to be the the PV output, and it's going to go into uh, the actual um, uh, system itself and go into the actual building, uh, and then it's going to go to the first readily accessible uh, disconnection means. Now, one of the things to remember is that um, more often than than not in this scenario we're coming into the system and that is going to be um, the uh, in from the actual PV system coming in it's going to be the PV power source or the source circuit coming in uh, to the inverter uh, and then of course from the inverter it's the output circuit it's going into the PV disconnect so what we're talking about here is from the actual PV source okay which is the PV source power that comes in uh, and it might come and turn and go into the actual structure, whether it's through the roof or, or whatnot, okay? I mean, that doesn't mean that the PV source circuits couldn't come in, but most of the time they come to a combiner. So what you have coming into the building is going to be the PV output. That's from the combiner into the building. It's going down to the disconnect, okay? I mean, that's typically what we're dealing with. Okay, I want to make sure I clarify that because there's a difference between the source and the output and most of the time the one that's going to come in through the combiner down into on its way to the disconnect at the inverter uh, is going to be the PV output circuits. So if that's the case as we see uh, then you're going to have to be dealing in a metal raceway uh, or you could use MC as long as it complies 250.118 item 10 which most MC does. Again if it's outdoors then it's going to be PVC jacketed. Okay. Okay. So we're good to go with that part. So we get that, but let's spend most of our, well, few minutes here looking at the marking requirements. Because again, there's a lot of marking requirements when it comes to PV systems. And of course, uh, it's we're having less and less as we have clarity uh, as the code panel starts looking at these things. Uh, but let's look at uh, G3. And for those that are following along, 690-31G3, it says marking and labeling requirements. It says the following wiring methods and enclosures that contain PV system DC circuits, conductors, shall be marked with the wording, warning, photovoltaic power source by means of permanently affixed labels or other approved permanent markings. Okay? All right, so... Uh, we have exposed raceways, cable trays, and other wiring methods. We have covers or enclosures of pull boxes and junction boxes. All of these marking. We have conduit bodies in which uh, any of the available conduit openings are unused. Uh, so we're, we're having this marking. All right? And you have all these markings that are, that are going to be placed on these, these locations. So that's where you're going to get the markings okay, to be done. Now, the marking, this warning shall be reflective. It displays white capital letters on a red background and not less than three-eighths of an inch tall on all the following wiring methods and wiring enclosures that I just talked about. So that's where you're going to get on all those. 
uh, and that's going to be your marking. And, and if you look at it, that's under item four, which talks about the methods and locations. Okay. Um, and you'll see that it talks about every section of the wiring that's separated by enclosures, uh, all of it, blah, blah, blah. Gives you all the, the parameters that you've got to follow there. Uh, minimum height of, again, three-eighths of an inch. And in white on red background. So those are some labeling requirements that you're going to have to pick up. That hopefully that are not, by this time, not really new to you. Uh, but you're going to put it on all that. Uh, the reflective DC labels, again, are going to have to be put uh, on the raceways, the, the, the junction boxes, all that type of stuff is all the requirements. Okay, And it also should be important to note that in 31G4 it says... The spacing between labels or markings or between a label and a marking shall not be more than 10 feet. Labels required by this section shall be suitable for the environment. So wherever you're installing it, you know, they can't be just your normal ink jets. Okay, so they have to be uh, designed as such. Okay. All right, so it's kind of moving on. Now, a rooftop PV array requires an isolating device per NEC 690.15. Let's talk a little bit about that. So the 690.15 states, isolating devices shall be provided to isolate PV modules, AC PV modules, basically an AC PV module is the in inverters built into the actual module uh, itself, into the actual panel, um, at DC to DC converters, inverters, uh, and charge controllers from all conductors that are not solidly grounded. Now, we know that most of these systems are actually functionally grounded. Rare occasions, but that's what it is. So, I've got to have these isolated devices. It says, an equipment disconnecting means or a PV system disconnecting means shall be permitted in place of an isolating device. So, in many cases, you're already putting your disconnects in between these components. Then they're going to be okay and you're going to be acceptable and you're meeting this rule. Okay? All right. Uh, an informational note just kind of reminds us down here, and it's pretty good. It says the purpose of these isolating devices are for the safe and convenient replacement or service of specific PV system equipment without exposing to energized conductors. Okay, so it's important in your designing the system, and most of the designers now know that anytime you have any of these components, that you're going to have to be have to safely be able to disconnect these components and work on them. Uh, a disconnect might serve that role. Okay. Now, it also tells us in location A, it says, isolated devices or equipment disconnection means, whichever your flavor is, uh, shall be installed in circuits connected to equipment at a location within the equipment or within sight and within 10 feet of the equipment. It says an equipment disconnect means shall be permitted, I've got a permissive rule here, to be remote from the equipment where the equipment disconnect mean can be remotely operated from within 10 feet of the equipment. So if I have some type of remote operation, a shutoff or whatever that's within 10 feet, then the equipment disconnect can be remotely uh, from that as long as I have this ability to remotely operate it, and that is within 10 feet. Okay, so anyway, bunch of rules here for the disconnection means or the isolating devices. So kind of letting you know how that, how that works. Okay. Um, so when we look at different isolating devices and we look at 690.15, it states, 
Again, we kind of rehearse this here uh, in, in our way that we understand it, and we do this over and over again now that we're understanding it, so it's going to become a no-brainer to us. But an isolating device shall be installed to isolate all PV modules, inverters, charge controllers, and similar components from all current carrying conductors within the system. So I could have a integrated fuse and disconnect, which a lot of times does get placed in combiner boxes, uh, and that might have the ability to be an equipment isolating device. Again, check with your listing of your product to determine otherwise. Uh, but isolating devices are not the same as PV equipment disconnects. Okay, so they do have, they're not the same. Now the code says that I can use either or, but an isolating device are not the same as a PV equipment disconnect or PV system disconnect. When disconnects are required, then they must be readily accessible. So again, when we talked about it, a PV disconnect may be able to serve as such, but where a DC or PV, uh, e a PV equipment disconnect or PV system disconnect is required, then it must be readily accessible, okay? So an isolating device can be as simple as a plug-in connector, okay? That is typically not required to be readily accessible. Okay, that could be on the roof, uh, an application that's not. Whereas the disconnects, if it's going to serve as that isolating device as well, it still has to meet the rules for that disconnect and be readily accessible. Don't get the two confused. Okay, uh, So basically a DC equipment disconnect could be an isolating device. But a DC isolating device cannot serve as a DC equipment disconnect. You get what I'm saying? Okay, Understand the two and what we're working with. Okay. Um, now, isolating devices, 690.15c states that an isolating device can be any one of the following. So let's look at it. So one, a connector that is listed for the equipment, uh, for the equipment if it's disconnecting. It means, in other words, it's designed, built into the system uh, like you might get with the microinverters where it isolates, it disconnects. Okay, so that's a connector that's been evaluated and it's listed for that application. Okay. Um, I might have a finger safe fuse holder that's designed for that. Uh, I might have an isolating switch requiring a specific type of tool to open it, but it is identified and listed as an isolating device. Basically, any isolating device that is listed for that specific application can be that application, can meet that. Now, we did the fact that we reiterated that in 690.15, it allows an equipment disconnect or a PV system disconnect to be installed, okay? And where only a simple isolating device is required, I could use the DC disconnect. I mean, I could do that. But I think what's really important is for people to understand that when I'm dealing on the DC circuit side, okay, from the array, when I'm dealing around the arrays, I don't have to use a big hefty disconnect. I could use an isolation device. And a lot of times that's what you get when you get microinverters. They have those simple connectors that are isolating devices. Don't confuse that for the requirement for a DC disconnect that's probably closer down to where the inverter is. Okay. Now, can I use those disconnects? A regular hefty, big, bulky disconnect where I'm doing isolating device is required? Yes, if I want to. It's not required. Just don't get the two confused, okay? Um, so where I'm required to have a disconnect, typically we're dealing with much higher ampacity values, 
Okay, so that's where I'm going to need a real disconnect for this application. All right, uh, a combiner box, for example, inside a combiner box, that's where your your actual PV sources come into the combiner, meaning you have different strings that are coming together. Many times they go into a combiner and they'll combine it down to one conductor that's properly sized and it goes over to what we call finger safe fuse holders. And they're designed to also have a lever on them that will break the connection and that is an isolating device. In other words, I can isolate it from there. Now, depending on the number of strings you have, it also might have fuses in there, and, and that's for another time uh, where the requirement for those panel PV modules require fuse protection. Uh, but again, those could be located inside of a combiner, and those could be what's called isolating devices, and that's really all that's needed on those DC side, okay? That might be all that's necessary, so don't get them confused. Now, where an overcurrent protective device is required for that PV array, well, if that's the case, if the PV is requiring overcurrent protection due to the number of strings and what have you, then that kicks us into 690.9 and are required to PV array, they must be, one, listed for DC PV system use, so whatever the overcurrent protective device is, uh, and usually these finger ones usually interact and have fuses in it as well as the isolating could be combined. But it's got to be listed for PV. That's the first thing. And it might clip inside of the combiner box. Secondly, it's rated no less than 125% of the maximum short circuit values found on the PV module data plate when added together. Okay. So you got to remember that usually they come in in strings. Remember we talked about calculating this. And then it changes over and combines them into a single conductors that go over to these devices, these overcurrent protected devices that are one, isolating devices, but also we're required overcurrent protection, and it, in this case, fusing, you have to make sure you do the calculations that we did previously to make sure it's sized right. Uh, accessibility, but it's not really required to be readily accessible because it's it can be on a roof type, in a, again, in a combiner box. It's permitted to do that because this is an isolating device, but in this case, the overcurrent protection is not required to be readily accessible, just accessible, okay? So kind of what you're dealing with. Another thing to remember is the fuses that go into these, uh, usually these are combination. They're not only isolating, but they also have fuse integration. And these have to be PV use or direct current fuses, not just regular automotive, things like that. You have to make sure you're using the right fuses, okay? All right. That's the you know the good part about all that type is you know those are the things that you generally have to just remember. All right. And lastly, kind of some of the things that we want you not to to forget that you've got other rules that you have to meet. Don't just get so locked in 690. So when we start talking about outdoor installations and conductors and we're thinking 690, 31, uh, C and D, uh, but we also since they're outside. Uh, in many applications, we have to also remember that we have some requirements in 225 uh, that we have to worry about, part one most notably. Uh, and again, if we're using USE-2 for some of these conductors, we do have some requirements in 338 that we have to be account for. Uh, also, if I have different use of things like LBs and whatnot, the ability to have access to this LB and all those type of things uh, covering up boxes and things like that. Now, if it's behind a PV module that can be removed, then you know what, you're probably good to go. But remember all these little things have to be taken into account, okay? Don't get so locked into 690 that you forget that there are other code rules that might apply, okay?
Now, we talked about it earlier. We talked about the PV output circuit existed uh, on the output side of the combiner. Uh, and it often is constructed in a raceway, and it'll have THWN-2 in the raceway. It doesn't have to be THWN-2. It could be THHN slash THWN-2. That's a dual-rated product, okay? But, you know, again, it could be PV wire still could be utilized for that. You could also utilize USC-2 as well for that application if you wanted to. Usually USC-2 can't come into the building, but it certainly can be used on the PV output circuit. Uh, and it's usually going to be dual-rated or triple-rated anyway, okay? Just remember that application, all right? So just some of the things to remember. Uh, when it comes into the building uh, from the outside, if any of those DC components do come in, that it has to be in a metal raceway or MC, metal, uh, when it comes in, don't lose sight of that. Uh, make sure all the lugs and terminations are listed for grounding and bonding and they're uh, appropriately listed for use in the application. Um, there's many conduits that you can use in the industry for these outdoor installations from, from EMT to IMC to rigid if you want. PVC, as well as some applications where even liquid-type uh, uh, LFMC can be utilized. Don't forget, don't forget in many cases that Section 225 is still going to come into play, most notably Section 22 of Article 225, okay? Which is basically, look, remember that 225, a lot of people get locked into feeders. This says outside branch circuits and feeders, so more often than not, we're talking about something equates to branch circuits still under 225. And understand that Section 22 is saying, look, raceways on the exterior surfaces of the building, they have to be listed and approved for use in a wet location. All the ones that I just talked about are for use in a wet location. Just keep that in mind when you're doing the application. Use the proper fittings. Use everything to be aware of what you're doing in a wet location. Don't lose sight of that. Okay. Also, boxes and fittings. Remember where your installation is. Remember, since we're up in dealing in 690, don't forget the general rules because we have 314.15 that talks about boxes and fittings that have to be listed for wet locations. So keep that in mind because these boxes can get filled up with water. We want to make sure that if we take a box that is rated for a specific application and then we penetrate it, that we're keeping and maintaining the integrity of that box. So all of those things have to be taken into account. Now, taking us back to what does the, the beef of the work, and that is the inverters. Now, the inverters that we have under the NEC code uh, for 2017 have some built-in safety requirements that are in there, okay? Uh, most of them today will have AFCI protection under 690.11 already built into there, and that's dealing with applications on AFCI protection required for PV systems operating at 80 DC volts or greater, okay? They're going to have that AFCI protection enhanced and built into the system. Now, many times they also have other protection, GFI protection, 690.41B. So listed DC rated GFCI protection is required for the PV arrays DC current carrying conductors. That DC protection, that GFCI or GFI protection is required to one, detect ground fault conditions in arrays, circuitry, and components. And secondly, it disconnects the short circuit to cease production of AC power from the inverter when we have loss of a grid, if it's a grid tied, for example. Okay, And in the short circuit, it will also shut it down as well. Okay, 
So, I, you know, the real thing for me is, to, is again, to make sure I clarify, because I catch myself all the time, and you do it too, we all do it, is we're talking about the difference in GFP versus GFCI. So I mentioned about these integrated GFCI protection, but really it's, it's GFI protection. Uh, or even, if we want to be more accurate, it's GFP protection, ground fault protection. It's slightly different than GFCI protection. Uh, but again, it's it's referred to as all of these things that's designed to isolate fault circuits, uh, ground fault detection, all of this that's, that, that come into a system. And most of these inverters now have this all built into the system. Okay, So really we're talking GFP. So if I use GFCI synonymous with it, I apologize. More than not, I know that what we're talking about is personal protection versus GFP versus GFCI. And when we're talking about inverters, and most notably when we talk about 698.41B, we're talking about GFP protection. Okay? All right. Um, so when we're looking at a system uh, overall, we're talking about the AC PVC conductor, the PV conductors, the AC side that exit the output side of a inverter. Okay, now how are they sized? Well, they're sized in accordance with 690.8A3 and 690.8B. Now, for 690.8A3, it says the inverter's maximum output equals the continuous output rating. And of course, 698.8B says all PV circuit conductors shall be sized to carry 120%, 125% of the maximum circuit calculated. Okay, so when we look at this, we got to look at 699.9A. It says, well, well we're going to look at the overcurrent protection next. But I guess before we move on to the overcurrent, we need to look in our code books and look at, at A3. Uh, 698.883, and here's what it says. The inverter's output circuit. So we did everything sizing coming into this inverter, uh, DC source, DC output. We did all that. Now we're actually coming out of the inverter, so we're dealing with AC, and it says the maximum current shall be the inverter's continuous output current rating, and that is going to be on the side of the actual inverter, printed on the inverter. Okay, So we're going to size according to that. Okay, So I just want to make that clear in case I didn't make that clear. Okay. Now, um, we size the DC component, okay, which was 698.8B for the PV circuits. Uh, and then we size the output of the inverter based on the continuous output rating that's on the inverter. Okay, so we kind of figured out now how we, we, we do all this. But fundamentally, we have to remember that 698.8B also applies. Okay, all we needed to do is have a starting point from the inverter. Okay, so once we have the inverter's maximum output, which is the continuous output rating, okay, then and only then can we apply the rules of 698.8B to those PV system circuits. It is still PV system circuits, by the way. Okay, so we just follow the rules accordingly and how we size that. But it's really important to know that when you're sizing from the inverter's output, you use the output value to come up with what the actual current is. That's why it's under A. So if you look in the code book, you'll see that we're trying to determine what the PV source uh, circuit current is. And then you go down, that's one, and then you get to two, and then you get to three, and that's talking about the inverter's output circuit current. Once we have that current, then and only then can we do conductor sizing, and that's when we drop to B, 
and it is all still part of PV system currents. And that's how we start calculating it as a continuous load and we apply the rules of B1, B2 and adjustment and corrections if they're applicable, okay? So you see how they work together? Whether it's on the DC side or the AC side, really doesn't matter. They work continuous and you have to use both of them there. Now, let's talk about, let's move to the overcurrent device. Now, provided we did our calculation on the output side of the inverter, which is a continuous output rating, and then we size the conductors based on that value using 69.8B, typically 120% of the maximum current calculated, which is what we did in 69.883, which is the whatever's printed on the inverter. Provided we did all that, now, uh, we need to see about the overcurrent protective device. Now, 690.9A gives us the rules for that. The good news is most of the modern type of inverters that we deal with today has the overcurrent component for that built in to the actual inverter. Okay, So typically, when we're dealing with overcurrent protection for the ACPV conductors exiting the output side of the string inverter, uh, they usually will have the overcurrent effectively built into it, so that's pretty much taking care of it, it itself. Okay. Now let's talk about 690.13. Let's talk about disconnection means, PV system disconnection means, uh, shall be installed to disconnect the entire PV system from all wiring systems and equipment on the premise. So having that disconnect means that I have to be able to disconnect all the components that are involved in the system. So this AC disconnect that is going to be applied to the system has to have the ability to disconnect the entire PV system under 69.13 from the, all the wiring system on this uh, wiring systems on this premise. So that's where I'm going to have the AC disconnect and that's going to be the, the disconnect. Now, service edge conductors from the utility provided provider along with the PV system conductors are passing through the wall and into the electrical panel. We, we get that. Yeah, that goes through, goes right into the panel. Okay, we get it. Uh, but we also have to remember that this case we now have the inverters output that's going to go into an AC disconnect and now that's going to go into the panel, into the system. Okay, so we have to have a disconnect to be able to separate the two. Okay. Now the PV inverter output conductors are typically going to come in and backfeed the panel and you have utility coming in and we have that main breaker there uh, and typically the installation of these backfed circuit breaker uh, for a PV system is going to be on the opposite end of the main okay uh, so that it's separated out okay so how do we typically have this layout I mean what is going to be the layout we would have well we have the array we're going to come down to a combiner then we're going to count down to isolation device number one, which is going to be able to isolate the combiner, the PV array from the inverter. And then on the output side of the inverter, we're going to have the PV, uh, PV system disconnect as well. And that typically becomes the generally the AC disconnect. Now that is a PV system disconnect, whereas the one on the supply side of the inverter is an isolation device. Okay, significant difference. Now, the PV system disconnect is going to disconnect the PV system from the, the main wiring system of the building or the structure of the house. Okay, And then, of course, you have a typical utility disconnect, most cases, uh, for that application. Um, utility disconnects. 
Um, what about those? When are they required? They are only required by the utility company if they require them. Uh, it must be the first disconnect in line without the PV output uh, when required. Um, you're going to see a change in the 2020 uh, code that is going to now require a utility disconnect. We're going to call it an emergency disconnect. Uh, that's going to be required on all outdoor locations uh, for uh, dwellings uh, in this application. So you're going to see that coming in the um, 2020 NEC. Uh, but basically, it's a supply-side disconnect that's going to be required to be able to have the emergency responders to shut it down. Uh, but there are many places around the country where the because of a PV system installed, the utility company required a disconnect. All right, and they required it. Code didn't require it; they required it. Okay. All right, so that's the general, you know, general requirement for that. So, um, if they do that, then if the utility requires that disconnect, then again, you're going to have your combiner. Then you're going to have an isolating device. Then you'll have your inverter. Then you have your PVC uh, PV system disconnect. Oh, in many cases, that isolation device is actually built into the inverter. So that might qualify as your isolation device, but not necessarily in all cases your PV, PV system disconnect. That typically would be at the uh, output of the uh, inverter location. And again, if they require a utility disconnect, then that's the utility might require that all right, to, be do, to do so. Okay. All right, so let's talk about some of the disconnects that you can't use. 69.13 F2. Well, that's a no-brainer. Basically, it's any device that's marked line and load. Uh, and with a PV system, you know it's going both directions, in and out, depending on how you're using it. Those disconnects that are marked with line and load shall not be permitted for backfeeding or reversed current. Okay, so keep keep that in mind. Uh, that type of disconnect is now under F, uh, and so that's there. So just kind of keep that in mind. So if it's marked line and load, you know the, what is marked line and load? Those typical pullout disconnects that you find uh, that we use on HVAC systems and all that usually have a line in the load, uh, they're not going to work, okay? Now, again, as you can see in 2020, you're going to see the requirement for that emergency disconnect outside for first responders, but you know what? We still have the same potential hazard uh, when you have a PV system and so you're still going to have the marking requirements, field applied hazard markings. Uh, basically, it's going to refer us back to 110.21b. Uh, it's going to tell you about the colors, the words, the symbols, all in accordance with the ANSI Z535.4 document. Uh, they're not handwritten. they got to withstand the environment that you're putting them in. Phenolic labels tend to be the predominantly used. Um, but it gives the user, as well as the first responders and other folks there, uh, uh, an upfront notice that there's a potential hazard that's involved. Okay. Now, dry, things that you might print out on an inkjet printer, things like that, are not durable enough to withstand the environment. The phenolic or some kind of labels that have been designed to, to withstand UV, water exposure, and all that, those are the type that you need for your environment. Okay. And they would have to be placed on there. Okay. All right, so now what about service disconnect uh, directory in 69.56b, okay? What about that? Well, guys, this only really applies if any facility that is a standalone system, okay, means they're not connected to the utility as a source. It's standalone, 
Now, granted, that's again, between me and you, that's going to also pull in some of the rules in 710, which is standalone systems. But what you need to know is if you have one of these facilities that's standalone system, maybe it's PV uh, or whatever, then it's going to require a permanent plaque or directory, install, uh, directory installed on the exterior of the building or structure at a readily visible location. And this plaque directory shall indicate the location of the system disconnection means and that the structure contains a standalone power system. Okay, so that's what the directory is required for that, identifying the power source. Now, if I have a facility with utility services and PV systems, then plaques or directories shall be installed in accordance with 705.10. Okay, and so you would go read the rules for 705.10. Again, buildings with rapid shutdown, where applicable, the buildings with PV systems shall have permanent labels as described in 69.56C, which is what we're talking about now, uh, 1 through C3, and that's a rapid shutdown. It tells you exactly what needs to be on it, where it needs to be, and all those good things, the size of the texts and everything. Uh, again, red background, white letters, uh, 3 eighths of an inch lettering, all caps, all that good stuff. So you have all these labeling requirements to keep in mind in 69.56B, as well as when you do have a utility tied with the PV, 705.10. So you got to be aware of all of those rules, okay? One of the other key things that, that came about in the 2017 code was the markings on these PV system disconnection means. Uh, if you're looking in the code, 69.13b, talking about markings, it says each PV system disconnection means shall plainly indicate whether it is in the open, off, or closed on position and be permanently marked with quotes, PV system disconnect or equivalent. Okay, so really it's got to say PV discon uh, system disconnect or something that's equivalent to that effect that's going to essentially say the same thing. And I would think equivalent being whatever the jurisdiction is saying that's equivalent. Probably easier thing is to simply put PV system disconnect. I guess some people could say fo uh, solar photovoltaic system disconnect would be equivalent. Okay, um, so it says... Additional markings shall be permitted based upon the specific system configuration for PV system disconnection means where the line and the load terminals may be energized in the open position, the device shall be marked with the following words or equivalent. And of course, you get a bunch of words that you have to place on there and it tells you exactly what you need to put on there. It also reminds you that if you're going to have the PV system uh, disconnect, that it also, and it is where it is permitted by 230.82.6, that it shall be listed as suitable for use of service equipment. That's also stated here. Okay, and again, it talks about the maximum number of disconnects. Again, you're probably all very familiar with that, harmonized, whereas you have the six, not more than six switches or six sets of circuit breakers, uh, or six switches or six sets of circuit breakers if it's all combined in one enclosure. Uh, you get all those same type of rules that you've had before. Uh, it also says ratings. The PV system disconnection mean, and we're familiar with this, that disconnection means now has to have sufficient rating for the maximum circuit current available, short circuit current, and voltage that is available at the terminals of the PV system disconnect. So now you're going to have to have that maximum circuit current available and that short circuit current and voltage that is available at those terminals marked on that disconnection means, okay? A lot of changes 
in the application. So I encourage you to get your code book out and read them. I'm just kind of touching the surface on those things. Okay. All right. And I guess the, the biggest thing of that that's going to be introduced to everybody is the need for the maximum voltage, the maximum circuit current, and the maximum charge controller current in 69.53. All of that has to be there now. So it has to be posted at the DC PV system disconnects and each DC equipment disconnect. Okay, So that's got to be posted if that's what you're dealing with. So be aware of that. Uh, again, where it's a grid tie system under 69.54, at the labels, it's going to know wants to know what the maximum AC operating current is and what the maximum AC operating voltage is. All these label requirements as well uh, are all going to be put into play. Okay. So the next thing we really want to talk about is let's jump up into 705 because remember how we talked about, yeah, you got a lot of rules in 690, but we also have to remember there's certain things that we have to do when we interconnect these systems. So now let's kind of jump, if you will, up into the load side. Now we're bringing in this, this PV uh, into the building and we're bringing it to the panel board. And that's a load side connection because it's on the load side of the service disconnection mean. So if you look at the rules that are in 705.12b, we're talking load side now. It says the output of the interconnected electric power source, our case PV, shall be permitted to be connected to the load side of a service disconnection means in the panel, that's what we're doing, of other of the other sources, in this case utility, and any distribution equipment on the premise. It says where distribution equipment, including switch gear, panel boards, oh, excuse me, switch gear, switch boards, or panel boards is fed simultaneously by a primary source of electricity, utility, and one or more other power sources, i.e. PV, and where this distribution equipment is capable of supplying multiple branch circuits or feeders, it is, it's in a panel, or both, the interconnecting provisions for other power sources shall comply, that's the other source, that's the PV, uh, shall comply with 705.12B1 through B5, okay? So let's look at this and let's kind of tackle the one that most people get confused over. And that is making those connections to the bus bar. Okay, that's where people, you know, inside in panel boards. And this is where you're making that connection. Uh, this is where they tend to get extremely confused. So what we want to look at is 705.12B23B. And here's where it says where two sources. Okay, two sources. We have utility and we have the PV. Uh, one is primary power source, utility, and the other is the other power source, that's PV in our case, are located at opposite ends of a bus bar that contain loads. And again, all these breakers are loads, okay, and everything contains the loads. It says the sum of 125% of the power source output circuit current and the rating of the overcurrent device protecting the bus bar shall not exceed 120% of the impasse of the bus bar. Okay, that begins to get confusing. So let's look at this. Let's kind of break this down. The sum, that's the total added amount of 125% of the PV output current that's being released onto that bus bar. Whatever is now coming into the output of this PV system that's going to be bought into this panel. We take that, 
and we have the main rating of the main breaker that's actually protecting the bus bar or a panel board, if you will, that the breakers are all going on to. And it's basically saying, all right, the sum shall not exceed 125%, or excuse me, 120% of the bus bar's rating. Okay. Okay, let's do some math here. So if that bus bar in this panel, based on the listing of this panel, and you look in the label, and that rating of that panel is 125 amperes. Okay? So we multiply that by 120%, or 1.2, whatever you want to do. And we find out that the maximum allowance is 225 times 1.2, which is 270 amperes. So 270 amperes cannot be exceeded because we can't exceed 120% of that bus bars rating. Okay, now, that's your overall. So now, what is our main breaker? If it's a 200 amp panel, that's a 200 amp panel. That's a 200 amp breaker. So that only leaves me 70 amperes to play with. Okay, well in this case, if your PV output, whatever it is, uh, we don't know what it is, but let's whatever it is, we already did our calculations and we know what the inverter is, we know what our output is coming in, we've calculated everything in uh, 690.8b, we, we've done everything. Multiplied, that's your PV output, multiplied by 125%, okay, which is what we're doing. Remember we took that output and we're doing 120%, cannot exceed 70 amperes. So, what would that be? So, 56 amperes times 125% is 70 amperes. So, if I have a 200 amp main breaker and I have a maximum of 56 amps of other source coming in, basically we might say that it's really going to be a 50 amp breaker because 56 we can't go up, so we're going to be at 50 amperes. So, we have a 50 amp breaker. That's not going to exceed 56 amperes because remember, we can't be more than 120%. So, as a sum, so 56 amperes, we're going to probably go with a 50 amp breaker, two pole breaker, or whatever. It gets put into the panel. So, the PV circuit breaker, which is being backfed in the opposite end of the bus bar, is going to be limited to the 50 amperes. You see what I'm saying? Because we can't exceed 120% of the bus bar's rating. That is different than what the main service disconnect is. That's only 20, 200 amperes. But the bus bar rating, which is on that little label in there, in that panel, uh, will tell you that that bus bar is rated for 225. That's how you calculate it. And once you get that overall sum, then you subtract what the main breaker rating is, and whatever's remaining, your PV source, whatever, uh, cannot exceed that. So that would be the output at 125%. Whatever that value is, that's going to be what's remaining, Okay, so then that's the 70 amperes. Okay, so now that's your your remaining. So if the main breaker is 20, okay, then you know very much what you're going to be limited to is that PV output cannot exceed 70 amperes. So easiest way to do that is that again you can go the other way. You can go 70 times 80 percent. which equals 56, uh, or you could go the other way. Again, you could do 56 times 125% is 70, all right? But you only have 70 to work with. And because we've got to limit it, and because we have to do the 125%, if the output is 56, then what's easier to go 56 times 125%, that's 70. We know we can't exceed it, so we got to stay less than 56 and of course then when you're sizing the breaker in 240.6a we know that we're going to have to choose a 50 
Okay, and that's kind of how it all works out. So hopefully that's not confusing. Now on 705.12b3 also reminds us um, when we're dealing with that, it says, okay, look, marking. Okay, we have marking requirements that have to be accounted for. And that means, look, I have now a panel that has got both utility and PV coming in. Now, if this equipment contains overcurrent devices, which we just calculated out that it does, uh, and it supplies power to the bus bar or conductors supplied from a multiple sources, that shall be marked to in indicate the presence of all sources. So you're going to have to put a label on there that says, you know what, dual power sources. I got a second source coming in that's PV. Okay, so you have to mark it accordingly. All right. Now let's talk a little bit about rapid shutdown, 690.12, and what we're talking about when it, we're dealing with rapid shutdown. While this was introduced in the 2014 code, and it was kind of, people understood the concept of shutting it down because of first responders and cutting it and reducing the voltage very quickly. Um, and in the 2017 code, it had an extensive change. And the extensive change is now we know what an array boundary is, and it is one foot in all directions from the array. And we also know what's considered outside of the array. And the outside area of the array must be reduced down to 30 volts in 30 seconds. Okay? Now, conductors that are inside this boundary, array boundary, must be reduced to less than 80 volts in 30 seconds. So as you move inside of this array boundary, one foot area, then you need to reduce it much quicker uh, and the number of voltages re rapidly reduced versus the outside boundary, which still in 30 seconds has to reduce it down to 30 volts outside of the array, okay? So you have these different boundaries that you have to start reducing it, reducing it down, okay? Now this rapid shutdown, whether or not we're talking about inside or outside of the, of the area boundary, because again, outside of the boundary, it has to be um, shut down to not more than 30 volts within 30 seconds uh, of rapid shutdown initiation. Whereas inside the, the array boundary, um, the conductors have to be de-energized down um, to 80 volts not more than 80 volts within 30 seconds of rapid shutdown initiation. So you have different rules for shutdown, and this is pretty much going to be taken care of by the manufacturers of these equipment. Uh, but that's the rule that you have. And again, it's to take the conductors that are around these arrays that are carrying the current uh, at different points in time, whether it's the distances, um, that it literally will bring that voltage down. Okay. So that's your, your, your boundary, your array boundary, and all the rules for the conductors that are, that are associated within it, inside or outside, okay? So again, outside the array, it's got to be less than 30 volts uh, in 30 seconds. And inside the boundary, it's got to be less than 80 uh, in 30 seconds, okay? Um, inside the boundary, listed in field label. And what it means is that when you're inside this array boundary, the code says that the PV array shall be listed or field labeled as a rapid shutdown PV array, okay? And it says such a PV array shall be installed and used in accordance 
with the instructions included with the rapid shutdown PV array listing and field labeling. Okay, and there's a great informational note there that goes into a little more detail. Then you get into those conductors that are actually being controlled by that shutdown. Uh, and, and most notably, these will probably be the PV source or PV output applications, prob mostly probably PV source. Uh, and then you've got, also it talks about PV arrays with no exposed wiring methods, no exposed conducted parts, and installed more than eight feet from exposed grounded conducted parts or grounded shall not be required to comply with 69.12b2, okay? So that's the shutdown of voltage. So if you have something that's out more than eight feet from exposed grounded conductive parts and all this kind of stuff, then you get kind of a, a leeway. Now remember, this went into effect, these requirements for the shutdown, 80 volts, for example, in 30 seconds, or 30 volts uh, in 30 seconds if you're... Uh, uh, outside of the array uh, boundary. Uh, all of this went into effect uh, January 1st, 2019, regardless of what code cycle you're on, all right? Uh, and that should be probably just generally uh, all around. Now, some people will debate that, but that's kind of like the AFC rules as well. Um, so initiation, 69.12c, initiating device. Uh, and maybe it's a plunger. It's got to tell you on and off position, clearly indicate it. Um, that type of thing as well. Now, 69.56C3, labeling of the rapid shutdown in, uh, initiation switch, again, has to be labeled as such. Um, and all of those labels have to provide and, and let you know where this location is and let you know about the hazards that are involved with this uh, shock hazard for this array. Of course, some of the other rules that you'll run into as well is that the rapid shutdown, the label that you're required to, to, to put there on the system uh, in 690.56C is the buildings with rapid shutdown. And you have some labeling and they got prescriptive rules on how size of the letters and the color in the background and whatnot. Uh, but another thing to remember is that labeling location. So um, the rapid shutdown label that we, dis that we talk about in 690.56C1 shall be located on or no more than three feet from the service disconnecting means to prevent the PV system um, uh, to which the PV systems are connected and shall indicate the location of all identified rapid shutdown switches if not at the actual same location, okay? And so you'll have that. And so the code does give you some examples, believe it or not, some figures of some labels and language and things like that that you have to follow for these shutdowns, some quotes and whatnot that are all there, and just make sure that you understand those, okay? So the rapid system is actually a connected system that hopefully gets integrated into the PV system, and so that's all going to be pretty much taken care of by the manufacturers that supply it. You just want to make sure that when you're looking for it, well, where the rapid shutdown is applicable, that it actually states that on the equipment that you're getting uh, in order to comply with this rule for the rapid rapid shutdown. Um, also, 2017 code, there is now, again, a 691. That is a system that is under the National Electrical Code, but it's a large system, and as we saw earlier, those are systems that are generally not less than 5,000 kW, all right? And they're not under... Uh, exclusive utility control. So that's why the NEC applies. But they might interact or interconnect with the utility and basically privately owned that are selling power back to the utility. OK, 
okay, in a large scale. And we had to add some specific rules for that. So that's um, now Article 691, and it gives you all of the rules that pertain to that, okay? So hopefully you got something out of it. It's a bit of long, a long podcast. For those that don't like long podcasts, I apologize. But we just kind of wanted to give some overview uh, of the process for PVs. Um, we'll obviously have other videos and podcasts that will go into a little more detail. But we want to kind of give a 3,000-foot view, if you will, of PV systems and the interaction. And again, if I said something you don't agree with, apologize. Again, I am not overly a PVE expert. Um, I do know the codes associated with it and kind of give you good guidance on it. Um, but um, there's no excuse for not taking a great course that might be provided um, by somebody like John Wiles or, or Bill Brooks or somebody like that. If you get an opportunity to go to a, a meeting somewhere and they're holding a PV course or class, great opportunity to take their class, great, well-knowledged individuals. Uh, but there's a lot of other individuals out there that are really up on PV systems as well. Uh, I can talk about any individual component and give you the code insight on it. Uh, but at the end of the day, these are guys that put their hands on it and mold the code. And 690 uh, as well as 691 is not the area that I spend a lot of time in. So hopefully you got some information about it. Uh, if you don't like it, feel free to give your thumbs down. Nobody will ever see it anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, if you got something out of it, great. If not, oh well, move on to the next podcast. Till then, stay safe and God bless. Every day the future's getting closer. Every day the future's looking bright.